Okay. So gospel literally means good news. We just talked about this this morning. We were talking about this this morning. In the Greek, it means uh, the word is euangelion. So you is true. You is blessing or good or something like that. I think of Eucharist. Yep, something like that. And uh, Gelion is like an angel, like proclaiming. So good news, good proclaiming. And so when we think of the gospel, we should always think about good news, right? And so it's specifically good news about, of course, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, when we think of the gospels, we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We think about those accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, when we talk about a genre, what's a genre mean again? I always get confused with that word. What's a genre? The type of literature. The type of literature. So in the Bible, we have a whole different bunch of types of literature, different genres, right? So we have, um, we have history, we have narrative, we have poetry, we have like revelation, which is scary symbolic prophecy. Uh, we have all of those. We have letters from the Apostle Paul to the church. And so all those Sometimes are different. they have different types within the same book. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it switches back and forth. And mm -hmm. so when we talk about what genre the gospel is, it's really an eyewitness account. And so the people that have written these accounts are either direct eyewitnesses or people who are associated with direct eyewitnesses mm -hmm. as well. So the first three Gospels are what we call synoptic Gospels. Anybody know what the word synoptic means? Like a brief, like over, like a synopsis would be like a okay. overview. You're on the right track. Yep. So if you, if you, like sin, right? If you synthesize, S-Y-N, not S-I-N. If you synthesize something, right? You bring it together, right? Mm -hmm. Or a synopsis, you kind of bring things together and summarize. And so... Uh, synoptic would be things that are being seen together, right? And so you kind of look at all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke specifically as synoptic Gospels as being seen together. Because Are there similarities in those Gospels? Yeah, yeah, yeah lots of them. Lots. Sometimes you're like, I just read this. Or like, you read it three times. You know, some of our accounts that we went through when we went through Matthew, I would say this one's in all of them. This one's in all three Gospels and John. But some of them are not, right? right? There's a lot of differences in those Gospels, too, which we'll talk about in a little while, is what our opponents love to play on and say, well, the Gospels have to be all mistaken because they all contradict and they all say different things. And Matthew says one thing, but then Mark didn't say that and Luke. So it's, it's, it's sometimes called the synoptic problem that people put out there and say, listen, isn't this a problem? The idea is it's not a problem. There are definitely differences, but... None of them are meant to be complete, biographical, detailed eyewitness accounts of every single moment of Jesus' life. Right? You know, Tuesday at noon, we went to Chipotle. Like, it, they're not going to, they're not going to, if there was Chipotle, Jesus would have eaten there. Let's be clear about that. Okay? Um, there are gaps, but they're also from different perspectives, right? So think of it more that the authors of the Gospels add different color. Different flavors, different details, right? If you went to, Ken and Barb went to a party, Barb would come home telling one side of the party of who was there. Ken might come home and tell the other side of the party of who was there. Yeah, but I'd be right. I was going to say, Barb would probably be right. But. Facebook post. Went to Chipotle, saw Jesus there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So yes, yeah, so think of different uh, different colors. But we also have, have different viewpoints. For instance, yep. if it was the house of a musician, yep. I'd probably be talking about all the cool musician things that I saw there. That's a great point. Musician friends that I met yep. there. If they had a fish tank, forget it. You would know every detail about the fish right. tank. Right, yep. that wouldn't interest her at all. She would be talking about the molding. Right. And the <laughs> and the people. Yeah, because we're different. Exactly. Different, different emphasis. That's part of the beauty of the gospel. So it's not a problem. It's not a synoptic problem. Somebody says the gospels contradict. They don't know what the gospels are, are written for. And they don't know who wrote the gospels and why. The other gospel, right, is John, which is sometimes called the, the fourth gospel. It's not lumped in the synoptic gospels because there's not really enough of John that is in the other gospels. John kind of has a narrow focus of just the ministry of Jesus in Jerusalem. There's other differences. There are no parables in John. 
John is missing many of the things that we see in common with the other uh, synoptics, like the Transfiguration, the Last Supper, the Olivet Discourse. Like there are things in the other Gospels that John just leaves out. Did that mean they didn't happen? No, it just means John didn't include them in his Gospel. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to review uh, some of the basics of each of the Gospels. And then we're going to spend some time talking about the reliability uh, what of the order Gospels. Are they we're going to get to that because oh. each one supposedly has a date. Okay. And I say supposedly because, right. of course, you got to take that. Some of these dates are like yeah, anywhere between thirty yeah. and ninety B, you know, yeah. AD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't write the dates on their manuscripts when they when they wrote them. So let's look at the first one uh, for Matthew. And so the author is Matthew, and I have an asterisk there because. One of the complaints you might hear about the authors of the Gospels is that the Gospels are anonymous. Technically, that's true. They did not write in their manuscripts, this is Matthew writing my account of my eyewitness things that Jesus did and said and all of the things, right? In your Bibles, it says the Gospel according to Matthew, right? Those, those are there, and they're there in the manuscripts, but they're not there till later. They're not there till probably 200 AD or something like that. So before that, they were circulating, and they were circulating anonymously. So people will love to tee off on that and say, well, we don't even know who wrote the Gospels, and they were anonymous. It's highly unlikely because it's completely logical and sane and consistent that the early churches would have received these letters from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and would have quickly ascribed them to the authors. They would have been circulated, they would have been identified, right? Think about it like when they had the letters or they copied the manuscripts, like, you know, what does Ken have? Well, Ken has uh, Matthew's letter. You know, they, they would have a way of referring to these things. So it's kind of a logical reason, but I think the other reason is a historical one. The early church fathers, as early as the first and second centuries, were like, affirming who wrote these letters. You know, Matthew wrote this one, Mark wrote that one, Luke wrote that one. So yes, if you get a smart atheist and someone who wants to pick a fight that says, yes, they're anonymous, technically they are, but not practically. Like, we would know that for yeah, sure. As opposed to Paul, who's kind of signed this. Exactly. That's a great example. So Paul's epistles, right away. Paul, here I am, an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have that. Except for Hebrews. Except for Hebrews, the mysterious Hebrews. Mysterious Hebrews. It's funny, I'm teaching through Hebrews at Sussex. Um, so Matthew is a direct eyewitness, mm -hmm. probably, most likely, the same guy called Levi, right? There are guys, of course, that would want to pick a fight with who wrote Matthew. Is it Matthew? Is he the same guy as Levi? Whatever else. In all likelihood, yes. The date, there's two schools of thought. It's either... 80 to 100 or 60-ish to 70-ish okay. A.D. Anybody could tell me what the real big difference would be. There's one event that is either going to be... The temple? Yes, the destruction of the temple. So the big question is, was Matthew written before the destruction of the temple or after the destruction of the temple? The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And so... Well, it wasn't really mentioned. Uh, it wasn't. Right. It wasn't. So some people side on the later side, some people side on the earlier side. As far as the audience, it's probably mixed of Jews and Gentiles, but definitely leans more Jewish. And where is my Bible? Because we should probably read some of these things if we're going to be talking about the Gospels. So if we look at Matthew 1.1, we can kind of get a hint, right? It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, right there, we got some key indicators. What are some key indicators that this might lean more Jewish? I don't know, but it got my attention since they started talking about genealogy. <laughs> well, that's the first one, right? right? Who cares about genealogies? Do Gentiles or Jewish people care about Jewish people. Jewish people care a lot about genealogies, right? Because right? they want to know the families. They want to know the family line and all that. What else in that well, one verse? All the prophecies about the line of David. Yep. Like that, so. Line of David. I mean, he's dropping some big Jewish names yeah. already. David, Abraham. So, yeah. So, definitely leans more Jewish. The purpose is really going to be the same for all the Gospels, right? The Gospels are eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. 
Some of them might have more specific, uh, refined purposes. Some of them not so much. Matthew is definitely a little more broad, but we can pick up on some key themes. If you remember when we were preaching through Matthew, Jesus, for example, talked a lot about the kingdom. He talked a lot about the Son of Man and, and talked a lot about the prophecies. And so some of these things are, are hit a little bit deeper in Matthew than in other Gospels. So a quick overview of Matthew as far as author, date, audience, purpose. Let's look at Mark. And so Mark, with his little asterisk, of course, yes, we know he didn't say it was Mark. Most guys think it's Mark. Church fathers thought it was Mark, right? So Mark was not an original disciple, but Mark most probably used Peter. Peter probably took Mark aside and said, here's my version of everything that happened. And so once again, Gospels, eyewitness accounts, either they were a direct eyewitness, like Matthew, or they were somebody who had access to a direct eyewitness, in this case, Mark, mm -hmm. having direct access to Peter. Date, we surmise, maybe the mid-60s. Um, most guys think, and I probably side here too, that Matthew uh, used Mark for some of his source materials. And you can kind of think of that. Like sometimes we think of Scripture like, oh, like, you know, the Lord just imparted all of this to somebody. But there's a practicality of Scripture. And think of, think of uh, Matthew, you know, writing along. You know, it's time for me to actually write this stuff down. And, and we went to, we went to uh, Caesarea. And what did we do there? Oh, oh, I know. Mark wrote that down. So then he's going to go find Mark's manuscript and he's going to see what Mark had to say about that. And he could jar his memory and he can add a little bit more flavor from his own uh, recollections in that as well. So most guys think that this was before Matthew because in all likelihood, Matthew used some of Mark's material to help him fill in some blanks there. Um, so the audience is probably a Gentile audience Maybe in Rome, we have a couple indications why um, there's a lot of Aramaic expressions that were translated that if it was written to a Jewish audience, they would probably just know right away. Um, they ex uh, Mark explains a lot of Jewish customs that, again, if you were Jewish, you would need an explanation of those customs. Mark talked a lot about the cessation, the cessation rather, of some of the practices, the religious observances and things that were no longer necessary with maybe Jesus coming into the world. And so probably leans more Gentile, and most guys think it was written to an audience maybe in Rome. And the purpose, again, is the life and ministry of Jesus, but Mark's flavor has a lot more of an action-oriented. If you know anything about the book of Mark, you know one of Mark's favorite words is immediately. <laughs> He loves that word immediately. And immediately we were there. And then immediately the man got up and did this. And immediately he was healed. He says it. According to Mark, everything was done on the same day. Yeah, exactly. He was left that weekend. Definitely more, uh, more action-oriented. But if we look at the, the first verse of Mark, Mark 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning, or the beginning, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right, right away, he states his purpose. This is what we're talking about. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And he goes right into action with John. So we see him. This is, okay, here it is. Here's my account. Here's my version of the life and times of Jesus Christ, the life and ministry of Jesus Let's compare Luke. The author, Luke, not a direct eyewitness. Like Mark, he had access to an eyewitness, mm -hmm. which was the Apostle Paul. Now, some of your eyebrows should mm -hmm. be like, but Apostle Paul wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Mm -hmm. How did Paul have a direct eyewitness account to Jesus? Uh, he had a direct vision with Jesus. He did. He got knocked off the horse and there was Jesus and yep. they had a powwow for a while. So they sure did. He regained his sight. Yep. Acts chapter 9 tells us the conversion of, of Saul to Paul where he was knocked off his horse 
And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? He said, I'm not persecuting the church. And Jesus says, same thing. And so then he gives him these visions and revelations. And so Paul got this massive revelation uh, from Jesus of all this information. A date, again, question mark, but most guys are in the 60s. 60s AD, not the 1960s. We're not at Woodstock here, okay? So I want to make that sure. And the audience, well, Luke is kind of cool because Luke has a really cool prologue or introduction, which also gives us the purpose. And so if we go to Luke chapter 1, it's going to tell us directly. And so Luke starts off, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, right? We should, we should key in on that word. That's a big word. Just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I love that <laughs> so much. And he says, I'm going to take everybody's everything and put it in an organized yep. fashion. So. And Luke is the longest gospel and the most detailed gospel. So he writes this for most excellent Theophilus that you have been, you might have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. What are, what, what are some things we can pick out of just those four verses there? As far as the purpose and who he's writing to, and other things. So who's he writing to? Theophilus. Theophilus. Why is he called most excellent? Was he in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Or what? Mine says honorable Theophilus. Honorable, okay. okay. So that gives That's you not as fun, clue. but yes. <laughs> yes, it's not as much fun, but it gives yes. you a clue. So if it's honorable, right, you right. might be thinking like a, a title or something. Yep. Some guys think Theophilus was a royal Roman official yep. or something like that. Not really sure. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's definitely not a Jewish name. Well, not a Jewish take, name. If we take it apart, it's God-loving. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. Theos and Philos, yeah. Yep. God-loving. So we know that he is a most likely a follower of God, probably well-off, and... For better or for worse, it appears that in some way it was a combination of Luke wanting to do this and Theophilus saying, hey, can you do this? So it's probably both of those things, right? Wow. He says in verse 2, he actually says he wasn't really an eyewitness, right? And he says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers. So he's kind of distancing himself from that, saying, that wasn't me, but basically saying, in parentheses, I had access to those people, uh, mainly through the Apostle Paul who had the direct download, right? But it says, um, it seemed good to him because he followed these things closely for some time to write an orderly account for you. And the purpose is this, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. That's his purpose. He's like, I'm going to summarize all this. I'm going to summarize it in detail that you might have certainty regarding the things that have been taught. So the purpose really is uh, to boost their faith and to see these things in black and white and to have a resource for them to continue to go back to the early church. Right? So that's Dr. Luke. Yep. And then let's look at John. So the author is John, of course, with the asterisk, and most guys think it is John the disciple, son of Zebedee, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, right? So talk about your eyewitnesses. Like as far as eyewitnesses go, Matthew was up there, but John was part of the inner three, mm -hmm. right? If this was the same John, which most guys think it is, right? So he had intimate knowledge of Palestine. He had very, very detailed uh, eyewitness accounts. You know, when he's writing about the things like uh, that happened, you feel like you're there with him when he's writing these things, right? We also have kind of extra biblical uh, proof. There was a guy named Polycarp who was a disciple of John himself. And Polycarp's buddy was Irenaeus. And if Rhoda's listening, she just sat up in her chair. <laughs> Irenaeus and Polycarp hung out and probably smoked cigars and had bourbon and said, listen, when I hung out with John, this is what happened. 
And so it's kind of like this verification, you know, through John wrote this book, like he told me about it when he was writing this book uh, in that account. So, so we have kind of historical um, verification, but also, you know, John himself being one of the closest comrades of Jesus. This has a big date swing. You know, some guys are even like 50 to 100. Yeah. Most guys are like 60 to 90. Most lean later in that in the 80s for some reason. Um, the audience is mixed. There's definitely Jews and Gentiles. This might again lean Jewish. Um, and if we go to John chapter 1, we might see why it leans Jewish. So if we jump over to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why might this lean Jewish based upon those first couple verses there? Because doesn't Genesis start in the beginning? Yeah, exactly. So you start dropping your eyewitness account within the beginning. It's basically saying, hey, look, look back to Genesis, right? Wow. Just like Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now John's going to do his gospel account. He says, in the beginning, guess what? Jesus was there. The Logos was there with God. And, and the Word the was God. Would have familiarity with the Word. Would, not as much. Would, not as much. With yeah. the Word Logos? though wasn't that something special that's where it gets mixed right that's right. a great point yeah because that's yeah. that's where it gets mixed. logos would instantly resonate with the gentile especially right. uh someone you know of greek influence right right they would be like oh i know what that is so when we say logos that's the greek word for word right in some of your bibles it's capitalized which to show it refers to jesus right. but behind that is the greek word logos which right. is all about the the reason for things the theory of things everything being held together right and so people are like whoa what is this guy saying and so what, a, right, what a, so he's mixing the two together yeah right there yep right in the beginning it's a brilliant kind of introduction to just say hey this is for jews and gentiles mm -hmm. right i got something for both you guys yep when were the, the big um philosophers aristotle and yep old, when were they in relationship to i don't no, I would have to look because that up. Because Greeks would have been, you know, that would have been... I want been to say like were. 300s, but I'd have to Google it to be they, sure. They would have been keyed in on their, those philosophers. Right, well, the, the concept of the Logos continued to develop, right? right? So, so as they're reading this in the time of Aristotle, said, right, it would have been like connection, yeah. right? Yeah, Aristotle was 384 to 322 BC. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, BC. Yeah. BC. Okay. Yeah, BC. Oh, it was yeah, way up. That was before. Yeah. Okay. Good. How, how much before? Good. 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 And so Socrates, yeah, they would. Socrates and yeah. he came after. He was a student of Aristotle. Right. Right. So, so these things yeah. would definitely yeah. be established. But they yeah. were key. Yes. You know, they would. Yeah. All those Greek philosophers yeah. were early on, so that's all established, yes. and then so, you know, but that was a. You know, a big discussion is why are things the way they are? How yes, do we come yes. to be? And, and oh, yeah. logos and then, was the was the whole philosophical. That's how you discussed the right. word. Yes, yes, right. Exactly. Yep. And then here comes Jesus with yep. all the answers. Right. Here comes John saying Jesus is the reason. Right. Yeah. Jesus yeah. is the reason everything yep. is held together. Yep. Right. I just another brilliant. We're talking about contextualizing the gospel yeah. this morning in Paul and uh, in Acts. Yeah. And this is a great example of of. of John doing that with the Logos. As far as the purpose, this is one of the books that actually states a specific purpose. Of course, it's about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But if we jump to John 20, verse 31, he says, he actually says, um, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Right? I love that. He's like, hey, I wrote down the important stuff, but there's lots more in here. Right? Bless you. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. He gives us the purpose. He's like, hey, these things are written, again, kind of like Luke, so that you'll have certainty for the things that you believe. But John says, 
that these are written so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. He says, I'm writing this down so you know that Jesus is the real deal, that you might know he's the Messiah. And through him, through belief in him, you would have life in his name. So just a quick overview of those four Gospels. And I want to spend the rest of our time uh, talking about the reliability uh, of the Gospels because um, this is a big question. This is a big, you will hear people say, and uh, guys like Bart Ehrman and Richard Dawkins, God Delusion, and where is Mr. Ehrman? He's around here somewhere. Yeah, Ehrman, you know, this is his whole career is uh, misquoting Jesus, right? What the Gospels got wrong, right? Uh, Jesus before the Gospels, how the earliest Christians remembered, changed, and invented stories of their Savior. That was for you. Right? I heard you. I didn't mean <laughs> So these are New York Times best-selling books, right? Written by people who... So it is, you know, you see people reading these books on the beach and everything. It's like, you know, this is, this is like, if people know a little bit about the Bible, they might have read something by these guys, and, and they might say, well, the Gospels are not reliable. So that's the question I'm going to talk about, right? And, and the real, the couple questions is like, um, how do we know about Jesus? Like, what are the ways that we know about Jesus? Outside of the Gospels? No, you can include them, right? We know them about... And then what, what was the other extra-biblical guy? Josephus? Josephus, other extra-biblical history, right, that might write about Jesus. Yep, nope. know about that, definitely, through the Bible. That's, that's one of the way. Um, and extra-biblical history as well, right? So we know the best way is what we were just talking about with the eyewitness accounts mm -hmm. that are related to us in the Bible itself. But the bigger question then becomes, are the Gospels reliable? And if you've had a little bit of exposure to any of these guys, some people are going to tell you a big flat. No. Um, Jesus walked the earth a very long time ago. How would we possibly have accurate accounts, right? He was in the first century. It was a culture way different than us. How are we supposed to understand it in 2023? Oh, Jesus' followers were illiterate fishermen. Yeah. They couldn't write to begin with. So mm -hmm. who wrote these things down? Uh, besides, maybe by the time that they actually got around to writing these stories of Jesus, decades had passed. Like, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. And so these guys write 40 years after Jesus and they got everything right? There's no way. At worst case, maybe they were, again, inventing stories to make the Jesus that the church wanted them to have, right? The big conspiracy theories, right? They wanted to invent a religion that Jesus never really intended to create. Um, Bart Ehrman, I don't know if I have this quote, I do not. Bart Ehrman said this, The invention of memories of Jesus is not simply a modern phenomenon. It's always been going on from the very earliest of times. And that's kind of his whole shtick, is that people invented memories of Jesus or created these things in order to serve a purpose, right? So where does that leave us? There's really only two options, right? And for us as Christians, the implications are quite personal. If, if the Gospels are not reliable, what does that mean for us? We're following a lie. Yeah. Why are we here on a Wednesday night when we could be doing anything else? Why do we go to church? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we structure our whole lives around it? If the Gospels aren't reliable, our whole lives are based on a lie, yep. and we're a sham, right? So the implications for us are very, very personal, right? Um, but the other option, right, if the Gospels are reliable, then we're basing our lives on the only truth that is there. It's exclusive truth, the real and true historical person of Jesus. And we all need to come to that reckoning of what do we do with Jesus, and what do we do with that? So... I want to talk a little bit about which one that is. And so a couple questions, right? Question one, wasn't that culture an oral culture at that time? And they couldn't even accurately record these events, right? People, how, did they, how did they read the Old Testament scriptures then well, in the temple when they were handed the scroll? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was for the really smart guys. Oh. The Jews were... Yeah. 
exceptional scholars, the Masoretic scholars and all of that, they were exceptional. But if we fast forward to the first century Greco-Roman culture, it's a little bit different of a story in that. If we're talking, if we're now, we're, we're, Jesus calls common fishermen, right? Yeah. And then the people in the churches are Gentiles, you know, there was a very, very high illiterate rate. Mm -hmm. um, but there's truth to it, right? Wasn't the culture an oral culture that, that couldn't even record those things? And well, yes, it was a predominantly oral culture. They weren't really writing things down. And really, uh, this, so part one, the answer is yes, it was actually mostly an oral culture, meaning the past was remembered basically through storytelling, mm -hmm. right? They didn't write everything down immediately. Like we might think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like maybe they were recording a diary every night. No, they probably didn't do that. And they probably didn't do it for quite some time. But you better believe they were telling the stories of Jesus for generations, or for decades rather, uh, after that. So you get the idea of, okay, so if it wasn't right away and it was an oral culture, how much can we trust people's memories? They're eyewitnesses. Yeah. That's where we got to get back to. We've got to get back to the eyewitness accounts, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people will be like, okay, well, we know human memory is fallible, so isn't everything in here like subject to a little bit of... Not when everybody is remembering the same thing. There's very few yeah. instances yeah. people... Yeah, go ahead. If you're actually, like if you're not discounting them, yep. then you're also believing they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes. So like, and then somewhere in John it says that he'll bring back to your memory the, Holy Spirit, like, yeah, things. John 14 and 16, right. yep. Yeah, and so Absolutely. if you're not discounting it, then it's and besides, God. also, these are major events. Like, you don't really forget the major events yeah. in your life. Like, if your house burned down, for instance, you're not going to forget that. Right. You know, right. what it looked like, how it felt. Right. You know, well, all of those things. When you graduated be, with your Ph.D., I doubt you're going to forget. What, to be, you know, to be fair, right, they, and Ehrman will bring in all kinds of scientific studies that said, okay, there was a car accident. Yeah. You don't, you're not going to forget a car accident. Right. What was the color of the car they hit? Yeah. It was red. Well, no, it was actually blue and it was a truck. Like, you know, so things do happen. We do right. forget details. In yeah, we may forget but details, but... the ma major theme of what happened. What the there major theme of what happened was... You guys are too smart. <laughs> That's exactly correct. right. And so it's our an opponents... Detail. Our opponents will want to play on those little details right. and say, well, that means everything's false. And but that really we're actually saying, proves no. that Jesus everything is true. Jesus did cross yeah. did rise again. There were different accounts from different yep. people that saw it, but the main point remains the main point. Exactly. Right. The main point remains the main point. But it is true that it was an oral culture, that it was, um, there was a culture of <coughs> storytelling, right? And that storytelling was actually controlled. And so let's, okay. let's pretend that Ken is the Apostle Peter, right? And we're telling stories about Jesus healing this guy and doing this, or Jesus' crucifixion. Like, you better believe... Wait, I remember that differently. Exactly. <laughs> you better believe that Ken yeah. is going to jump in yeah. and say that's not exactly how it was. And most of the time, the people in those situations are going to defer to the eyewitnesses and say, you know, is this actually right. what went down? Can you and verify they told that? Over and, over and, and they over. told it over and over and over again. And guys like Ken were the gatekeepers. That's why it's called informal controlled oral tradition. Like they're they're right. informally making sure that what is being passed Plus on they weren't isolated is facts. from each other. I mean some of them a couple of them were martyred early on, but like, you know, it, they weren't isolated from each other. Like when uh, Paul corrected Peter, yeah, you know, I right, mean, right. They're, like right. they're, they're together, yeah. they're having, you know, or is that with the food you're eating there, but you're not, you know, not right. here. Like, yeah. Luke, if Luke's is Paul's perspective of his visions from Jesus, yep. we also know that Paul went and found the other, the other apostles to fact check right. what he thought yeah. he saw. Exactly. Yes. He went up, found them, talked to them. Hey, is what I'm what I'm saying for real? Is that is that true? Yeah, definitely. So yes, part one, it was an oral culture, but part two, did that mean that they couldn't actually then, if it was an oral culture, could they not accurately then record the events 
And the answer is that does not mean no. It does not mean that they could not accurately record those events. And for a lot of the reasons that we just talked about, right? There was a way for the stories to be remembered accurately, even though it was oral. And that's the, the important takeaway that. And so another question then is, well, okay, fine. Wasn't stuff changed? Like, didn't they actually mess with the contents of the gospel? in between the time where the events actually happened, right? So Jesus died in whatever, 33 AD, and by the time, uh, whatever, Matthew got around to writing it maybe in 70, or whatever date you're gonna land on, that's still 40 years of things to change. How was he? What? How old were the the apostles when Jesus was on the earth? They were young. But like, they were definitely old men while they were writing. In fact, that was probably one of the most compelling reasons why they wrote it was like, hey, I'm going to croak soon. Yep. And the church needs what happened. And so it's time to write it down. Yeah. And so that was definitely one of the compelling reasons, right? But in all likelihood, nothing was changed, right? We have oral tradition that was controlled by guys like Ken, the Apostle Peter. <laughs> and then they wrote it down. They wrote it down eventually. Um, but it also depends on how you define the word changed. Was anything important changed? No. Are there differences in the gospel accounts? Yes, sure there are. Right. But nothing of substance was changed. That doesn't mean that when they recorded the gospels that things were changed. In right? fact, it's more likely to prove that there are different accounts from different people because different people will remember things like uh, the case for Christ. Yep. Um, you you know, fill in he, other details. Right. They, he was a detective, a police detective, and he says if, if it was too much similar, I'd know somebody was colluding here. Very true. Or lying or, or you know, somehow. They, they, that's right. why the cops separate you when, you're, when you get arrested with your buddy. Right. right. They separate you immediately so yeah. that you can't uh, tell the same story. Yeah. Well, you tell them this. We were coming from... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. We looked at exactly this time. Yes. We did that. And, yeah. <laughs> and the big deal, as Barb said already, it, it's eyewitness testimony. Yeah. We're not talking about people that were getting it secondhand, thirdhand. This is not a game of telephone, which is another one that you would you will hear, right? Well, this guy said this, and 40 years later, what actually happened looked nothing like what actually happened because it was one giant game of telephone. No, these were eyewitness controlled accounts. And I so it's important for us to I know that. I think that there would be more letters that might have circulated that did, um, you know, survive. Yeah. You know. It seems to be. I mean, we know that from Corinthians, right? I mean, yeah. our first Corinthians really should be called second Corinthians and third Corinthians. <laughs> yeah. There's a letter that There's that a letter happened, that's missing, yeah. Right? But we can rest assured that what we need to have in the Bible is what we have, right? We're not going to miss anything. There's not going to be not, nothing that's going to change in the gospel or salvation message oh. because of, you know, anything that's... But you're right, you know? And plus, this was a colossal event in world history. Yep. You better believe that there were hundreds of thousands of people writing about this stuff. And that's why we have a lot of false gospels, too, right? And so we talked about some of these eyewitnesses again. Um, I got a good quote here from... <coughs> The scholar, if you ever wanted to totally nerd out, Wendy, no. <laughs> this is the Mac Daddy. That looks like too big. What? That looks too big to read. So this is uh, Richard Balkum. It's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, the Gospels as Eyewitness Testimony. So this is this is the Mac Daddy as far here, as... Right? It's always here. <laughs> or you can read a little easier, 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. There you go. You can, <laughs> you can distill it down. And, and, and right? gets to the heart. But Balkum writes this in this book. If the period between the historical Jesus, right, that's something you might hear. Like, oh, we'll never know the true historical Jesus, but... If the period between the historical Jesus and the Gospels was actually spanned not by anonymous community transmission, but by the continuing presence and testimony of the eyewitnesses who remained the authoritative sources of their traditions until their deaths, then the usual ways of thinking about oral tradition are not appropriate at all. This is saying, no, there are eyewitnesses, and they were there, and they were hanging out, and they were making sure that the stories that were told were correct. And so it's, it's not a game of telephone. It's not like they were eyewitnesses and they shut up for the rest of their lives. Yeah. They were out there. These were the dudes, right? Constantly. Yep. Finding audiences. So eventually, as these eyewitnesses passed on, they knew they needed to write these things down before to leave solid 
um, like we saw in Luke, like we saw in, like the, I've recorded these things so that you might have certainty about the things you believe, right? They knew they needed to have this for the church, right? So the early church is where we get actually more evidence that the gospels were not changed, but rather were maintained as solid eyewitness testimonies. And so um, the early church thought the same thing that we have today, right? We have solid historical evidence from the second century that the united consensus of the early church fathers with the gospels were written by the guys that they said they were written by and they were direct eyewitness testimony. Um, uh, New Testament scholar Brant Petrie writes this, the earliest Christian writings outside the New Testament, right? So we have, we have the Bible, right? We have the apostles that wrote their writings and wherever they are, 60 to 100, whatever that is, right? They died. And then we have the early church. And we have the early church fathers who pick up after that, right? And so a lot of these guys knew guys who hung out with the apostles, right? And so that's very important what they thought. The earliest Christian writings outside the New Testament are completely unambiguous and totally unanimous about who wrote the four Gospels. Even more, some of these writings come from authors who either knew the apostles themselves or were only one generation away from the apostles. Right? So the early church fathers are very, very important, and they verified who wrote the Gospels and their eyewitnesses, and they're saying the same thing that we have in our Bibles today. Right? Sure, there were other gospel accounts, right? We all know about the Gospel of Thomas or whatever else, right? But they were rejected right away by the early church. Now, why do you think they could be rejected right away by the early church? If, if I decide one morning to write the gospel according to Mike, right? Why might my gospel be rejected as inauthentic? Because they know you were not an eyewitness of Christ because they know all the people that were involved. Exactly. Personally. Guys like Ken. Yeah, guys, guys like, like Ken. Me. He's going to say, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> I've never right. seen him in my are. life. <laughs> right? Yeah. Plus, what if I'm starting to write things like, Jesus uh, was stoned to death. And then they, right? Things that are completely opposite of what everything else is saying. Right? You're going to look at that immediately and go, well, that guy's wrong. Right. So that's really what happened is you see some crazy accounts of some of these things in the in these other gospels yeah. that just don't fit with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Yeah. You know, Old Sesame Street song. You know, one of these things doesn't look like the other. Like it's 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 kind of that simple, right? And so yes, there are differences those in the accounts. Minor differences. And we have thousands of copies of the New Testament, right? We have probably upwards of 25,000 copies of New Testament manuscripts across a couple different languages. And so what can we do? We can bring all those together and we can compare. And that's the whole science of textual criticism where we know what's changed and a lot of times it is completely insignificant. There are lots of differences. Sometimes you might hear uh, this quote, there are more differences in the New Testament than there are words. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Technically, it's true. Yeah, because there's so many manuscripts. Because there's so many manuscripts. Do the math. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, if you misspell yeah. one word across 25,000 manuscripts or whatever it is, right? right? Yeah. They didn't have the greatest conditions for copying manuscripts either, right? But the fact that there are so many differences doesn't prove the point that they were messed with. And somebody said it here that nothing central to the gospel was, was in question. We're talking about spelling differences. We're talking about word mix-ups. We're talking about maybe omissions because somebody's copying something and misses a word. All that stuff counts, right, as a difference. But that doesn't affect the core of the gospel, right? The gospel is the bullseye of the Bible, right? And so we have to understand that that is not threatened at all by any of the differences. Yeah, because some of them are like the word color. They spell it C-O-L-O-R or C-O-L-O-U-R. Yeah. You know, like the difference in the spelling. I mean, yeah. it's... British or... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, in that case, it's just somebody spelled the word differently. Yep. You know? Big deal. Yep. And so, again, nothing central to the gospel, right, is in question. The gospel accounts are not only historical facts. We have to remember... I think Noel said, right? It's, it's 
they're spirit inspired, mm-hmm. right? So it is on a different level. It's just not a history book. There are historical accounts, but it is spirit inspired, right? And so the biggest question then again comes down to not really whether or not the gospel is true, right? And when we, when we meet somebody who has an, a, an objection to the gospels and their reliability, a good question to ask is why can't the gospels be true for you? Mm-hmm. And so there has to be some reason why, right? Maybe it's that you don't want the gospels to be true. Maybe you're trying to say, again, Romans 1, right? They suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. Like, if God's for real, then he's the boss, and I have to submit to him. And I don't want to submit to him. Right? So I'm just going to ignore the fact that God is real. Right? If Jesus really lived and died for my sins and was resurrected from the dead, then I have to do something about that. I have to come to an actual decision of, was Jesus the real deal or not? And if I just try and throw up this smokescreen of, well, there's lots of errors and contradictions in the New Testament or the Gospels, then that's what I'm going to hide behind, right? Again, it's not so much an intellectual objection as it is a moral objection. And that's where we've got to get to is, why can't the Gospels be true? Another good question is if somebody says, hey, there are lots of mistakes in the Gospels, ask them to point out one. Mm-hmm. Most of them can be explained. Yeah. Most of them can't even do that. Most of them can't even. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's where the the humanity of it comes into play. Like Matthew's faint. What did he say? Matthew's is Matthew. There said there was two donkeys, right, or something that they went to get, and and all the other guys said there's one donkey, and so somebody would pick on that and say, "Whoa, there's a mistake." One was the adult. One was the cult. Right. So they would equate then a mistake, like something like that, means it's false. Well, no. There's a humanity, right? Go back to Ken and Barb at the party, right? Mm-hmm. Ken's going to come home and talk about all the people that were at the party. Barb's might come home and say all the other people that were at the party, right? He'd talk about the music they played. Right. He'll talk about all that other stuff. It doesn't mean that Ken was wrong. It just means he was focusing on different things. There's a human aspect to this, too, right? <laughs> And so we've got, to, we've got to understand that as well, right? So that's where it kind of ceases to be academic, and we have to realize that this is, the Gospels are not just history. They are. But it's also the truth of Jesus and what he came to do, right? And so that gets back to our big questions where we started, right? If the Gospels are not true, it's not just a historical mistake, we've based our whole lives on a lie and now we have a worldview that doesn't make any sense and what is <laughs> we're in a massive existential crisis then right then what is the worldview <laughs> that makes sense how do we reconcile everything that's you know in this world but if it is true right then we're basing our lives on the exclusive truth of god right and that's where that's where really we would stand right um, goes back question. to the heart. What's that? Goes back to the heart. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Questions, thoughts, comments, disparaging remarks. A little bit on how we got the gospels and why they why they are reliable. Of course, John lived the longest, so he would have had yeah. the longest opportunity yeah. to to wait to record his, and yeah. he did record them. You know, hey, I'm getting older. I'm, you know, think, you know, or I'm threatened in some way. Yeah, okay, I got to write this before I die. Yeah, you know, that yeah. kind of kind of makes sense. Well, John that's the other thing, right? Like later, the disciples and the apostles, right? For that that matter, most of them died horrific deaths. Yeah, most of them, right? right. And would they would anyone really die for something that they knew was a lie? Right. Exactly. Nobody does that. And they tried to kill John, so they say. Yeah. You know. What they do? Throw him off a building that no. didn't work, and then they Supposedly boiled him in oil, tried. and that didn't yeah. work. And yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then they just exiled him. <laughs> and then they just exiled him. Yeah. Off they go. 
So I think there's that famous quote from the, the Nixon guy, right? He's like, we couldn't keep our mouths shut for, you know, two weeks after Watergate happened. Yeah. But, you know, the disciples somehow managed to keep their story for decades yeah. after that. Yeah. And it's like, it has to be true. Like, it just logically has to be true. These guys would be squealing, like, no, I didn't do it. It's all alive. Forget it. Don't kill they me. They certainly wouldn't go to the cross or, no. or, or be martyred for yeah. it, you know? And yeah. Pray for the people injuring them or yeah. killing them as they were being killed. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a very powerful thing, right? That people would, you know, they people would die for things they know to be true. Yeah. But almost never would somebody die for something that they knew was a lie. Yeah. When push comes to shove, it's like, no way. Forget it. I was kidding. You didn't exist. <laughs> Other thoughts? I'm thinking about... Forty years ago, we went to the Martin Downey Jr. show. Okay. And there we went, and we saw this thing. I can't even remember the people involved. I know it was like Sharpton and those people. Yeah. We're saying that because of the Michelangelo painting, it looked like John was a female leaning on Jesus. Okay. So, so it was a, really a, a woman. And that Jesus was married. Oh boy. So I think about they debated this issue and it actually came to a fist fight on the stage. What? However, well, that's what they want on that show, three right? Three weeks later, <laughs> it was forgotten. It was like totally done. Nobody ever heard of it again. Yeah. So it's pretty wow. interesting that the truth does not, if it's not the truth, it doesn't but would it, matter. It peters out, right? So you, what, no, I think, matter. I don't know if it would matter. I didn't even go into that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until Dan Brown's that's, books about it. Hiding the truth about well, Jesus. Well, first of all, Michelangelo was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Michelangelo was being paid by the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, Dan Brown's book, right? The yeah. Gospel of Thomas and all, yeah. all of that stuff, right? Again, the church fathers and early church ruled that stuff out immediately because yeah. it just didn't fit and didn't have the street cred. So. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> do not know. Ask Rhoda, she knows. <laughs> yeah, he found it. Well, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for uh, tonight. I thank you for your word. And just as we kind of do a flyover of the Gospels and, and look at some of these themes in some of them, uh, the dates in some of them and who wrote them, and some of these issues that are in play right now in our culture um, for the reliability of the Gospels, um, for really the implication. Because if we're going to say that the Gospels are not reliable and they were made up, then our Gospel means nothing. And then you really didn't come and do the things that you did, and you really didn't uh, die on the cross and were resurrected uh, from the tomb. Um, you really didn't leave us the Holy Spirit. You really didn't provide a way for us to be reconciled to God. And so this is a critical issue, Lord. So I pray that as we interact with our culture and as we think through these things, that we would be um, informed, that we be confident. Like Luke told us, that we would have certainty concerning the things that we were taught. Like John, uh, uh, that we would believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. We are so thankful for the way that you have preserved your word uh, through hundreds of years, and we're so thankful for the access that we have to it. Pray that others would have this access, access to it, Lord. Um, but also, uh, would you just boost our faith in the reliability of your word? May it be one more reason uh, why we trust you and why we love you and why we conform our hearts and lives to you. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.